Most kids at some point in their life want to be a part of a club. I don't know what it is about being a kid that just makes you want to be a part of a group. I guess, actually, most adults want to be a part of a group, too. But, but we've all had those, those kind of ideas about you know, going out in the backyard and building a clubhouse out of some old lumber and uh, putting a keep-out sign on, on, on the door. And, and I always thought about that, too. The, the problem was I, I was never very successful at getting anyone to actually join my club, <laughs> which meant that, uh, you know, I kept the whole rest of the world out of my club, but it also meant that uh, when I showed up for the club meetings, we had 100% attendance. It was really good. Paul doesn't describe a club here in Ephesians chapter 5, but he does describe something much more important that we want to keep out. The Ephesian believers lived in a city where what had once been seen as immorality was now viewed as normal. Sound familiar? You know, so many things 10, 15 years ago that you wouldn't have even dreamed of mentioning in public that now it's just the norm. It's just the way everybody describes our world anymore. Well, that's what was happening in the city of Ephesus. Things that you would never imagine being possible in in a cultured society. They were going on in the city of Ephesus. And the problem was, how do new believers in Christ, people who have given their life to the Lord as Savior, they're seeking to follow Him and everything they do, how do they navigate through a world like that? Or, more important to us, how do we navigate through a world gone crazy, a world that seems to have absolutely no morality whatsoever. Well, we're going to learn some exciting principles that we can all use in our life to do exactly that here in Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to start there in verse 3. But among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. We'll look this morning at, at why it's important to keep immorality out of our life and how to do it. Paul gives us some very wonderful answers here in Ephesians chapter 5. Well, first of all, why does this even matter? Why, why is it important that we seek to keep immorality out of our life as believers? That's a question the world asks all the time. Uh, why do you people get so wound up about all of this? Uh, why are you so uptight about morality? Just live and let live. Well, first of all, literally no one actually does that. Nobody has zero morals. Everybody draws the line somewhere. Now, where that line gets drawn, that may vary substantially from one person to the next. But nobody, nobody says everything is okay. If anybody ever tells you that, if anybody says, well, I just I have a live and let live kind of idea. I, I just think anybody ought to do whatever they feel like doing. Go out in the parking lot, let the air out of their tires and see what they think about that. I don't, don't not really don't 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 do that. But you get the idea. There are some things everybody would say that's wrong. You shouldn't do that. Don't let the air out of my tires. I don't want that to happen to me. Oh, they've drawn a line. So it isn't live and let live. I can't do anything or everything I want to do. We all have those 
lines. So if everybody has some sense of morality, if everybody has some line that they have drawn in their life, where do you draw that line? Well, again, some might argue, we'll just let everybody draw the line wherever they think it ought to be. But again, that doesn't work. I think it should be allowed to let the air out of your tires. Well, we already went down that road, so you understand. Everybody understands there's got to be a line uh, somewhere. And here's where the Scripture steps in for us. The community where the Ephesians lived, they basically thought, at least, that they had this live and let live mentality. Everybody could kind of just do what they uh, wanted to do. And, And much of the excess that was going on in Ephesus was centered around their religion, the, the temple of the goddess Diana was located in the city of Ephesus, and it became a center for all kinds of immorality that was done in an attempt to appease the goddess of fertility and love. And you can just let your mind race on what all that might have been, and you would be right. All kinds of terrible things were, were happening in the name of religion. It's no wonder that Paul cautions the Ephesian believers to have nothing to do with any of that. They lived in a society where they were surrounded by every kind of sexual sin imaginable and all of them were culturally acceptable. Sound familiar? Paul could have been writing the letter to believers in Springfield just as much as he could be writing this letter to Ephesians or pick any city in our world today. This is the world we live in. This is what we face. A world which has defined everything immoral as moral. Paul tells them don't not only to avoid those sins, but he goes even one step farther. He says, don't even let there be a hint of that among you, not in your actions, not in your speech. Paul says, don't just avoid the sin itself. Avoid talking about, avoid thinking about them. I'm guessing just bringing up the subject this morning has brought some images in your mind that you wish weren't there. And that's the problem. It's very difficult to unsee something once we've seen it or to unhear something once we've heard it. The best defense is a good offense, if you want to reverse the cliche here. The best way not to think about it later is don't put it in your mind now. It's why Paul's so specific and strong with his directive. He says if you're going to draw the line, and again, remember, everybody draws that line of morality somewhere. So if you're going to draw that line, why not draw the line high? Why walk in the gutter when you can drive on the superhighway? Why accept less than the very, very best? March and I went shopping for a new mattress the other day. After finding the one that we wanted, the the salesperson offered to make us a substantial deal on the same model mattress that was on clearance. And we asked him, well, why is that one on clearance and this one isn't? He said, well, I don't really know. It might have been one that was overstocked or maybe it had a little damage in transit or it could have been a return. I don't really know. But let's go take a look at it. So we said, okay, sure, why not? Maybe 
save a few bucks. That would be a, a good thing. So he takes us back to the back of the store where the, all the clearance items uh, were. And, and sure enough, we, we did find a little bit of damage. There was a little rip on the back. And he said, well, maybe that happened when they pulled it off the truck. I don't know. Just a little rip, though. It's on the bottom, too. You, you'll never see it, which was a good thing, because you could sure see the big stain that was on the top of the mattress. We asked him, well, where'd that come from? And he didn't have an explanation for that one. So we went with the new one. <laughs> Somehow sleeping the next 10 years on a stain of unknown origins was not what we wanted to do. I'm sure somebody came along later and bought that mattress when they finally got the price down low enough. But to be honest, not only did I not buy that one, I almost walked out of the store when he showed it to me. It wasn't exactly a confidence builder that he was trying to sell me that particular item. And I really checked our mattress over very carefully when it came delivered to our house. Ephesus needed some help. And this was a city that was out of control. The Ephesian believers had the answer. They knew Jesus. And Paul tells them why this mattered. They need to realize what the stain of unrepented sin would do for their witness in the city of Ephesus. Paul calls for them to be different. If their lives were no different than the others in Ephesus, why would anybody listen to what they had to say? The Bible says the same thing to us. Now, notice something here, though. There's something really important. Paul does not tell the Ephesian believers to go down to the temple of Diana and tell all of those people involved in all the stuff that they were involved in how terrible they were. The fact of the matter was, those folks at the temple of Diana, they were just lost. They needed to know Jesus. They were stumbling around in the darkness. They desperately needed the light of Christ in their life. And that's what the Ephesian people knew. That's what they had. They had the answer to what was wrong with the city of Ephesus. They had Jesus. Folks, we do too. The world desperately needs to see something different in our life. Now, we won't be perfect. They weren't perfect in Ephesus either. But our lives can and should be distinctly different from the world around us because of the Savior who lives within us. Now, most of us realize that. The reality is even the live and let live folks realize there ought to be something different. They realize how empty their lives are. They realize how wrong and, and how far off track their life has become. They know they need something different. And that's why this matters. Our world desperately needs Jesus and they need somebody to point the way. This matters. So, so how do we do this? Again, the city of Ephesus, in the description that Paul is giving here, he could be describing any city in our world today. How do we go about living a different life, a life that reflects the light of Christ? How do we do that? Well, Paul makes it really clear what we need to avoid. He lists it specifically. Now realize he is talking about a specific situation 
in Ephesus, and he's describing specific things that are happening in that city. But boy, doesn't this sound like our world today? Here's what he says to avoid. Impurity, greed, obscenity, foolish and coarse speech, anything immoral or impure. There in verses 3 and 4. That's interesting that in verse 5, Paul connects those things, immorality, uh, the uh, greed, the other things that he's identified. He connects those with idolatry in verse 5. That's because immorality, greed, they have the same basis as idolatry. All sinfulness in reality is our wanting something we think is better than what God gives us. And that's what idolatry is. It's worshiping something more than God. It's thinking that there's something out there that's better than He is. So it's no accident that Paul equates all of this with idolatry. That's exactly what it is. He also calls it something else. He calls it foolish and empty. Verse 6, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. Paul here is not trying to single out any specific sin. All unrepented sin separates us from God. And outside of His grace, we are all without hope. He is, however, dealing with a very specific situation in the city of Ephesus. There was a teaching that was beginning to bubble up, even amongst believers. It was a teaching that eventually would be known as Gnosticism. Essentially, Gnosticism elevates knowledge to a spiritual level. In fact, one branch of Gnosticism that apparently was becoming very popular in the area of Ephesus, it taught that this knowledge was so significant and so important that once you gained this special knowledge, it didn't matter what you did physically because what you did physically made no difference at all in a world where knowledge was most important. Paul's summation of that particular philosophy, empty words from empty heads. (laughs) He says, don't let them fool you. That's a warning, by the way, that Paul gives over and over and over again in his letters. Don't let them fool you. He says it in Romans. He says it in 1 Corinthians. He says it in 2 Corinthians. He says it in Colossians. He says it in 2 Thessalonians. And he says it right here in Ephesians. Why? Why would Paul say that over and over again, especially here as he's writing the believers in Ephesus? Because empty words lead to empty promises. When we can see that, when we can understand all of this the world is promising me, all of this that that is being laid at my feet saying, you can have it all. That's not what it is. It's really just empty. There's nothing there. When we can see it for what it is, we can avoid it. If you're hiking down a trail along the edge of a cliff and you see something in the path there in front of you, maybe a big rock or or maybe it's a hole in the trail, you're going to step around it or you're going to step over it. But what you're not going to do is step off the cliff. (laughs) No one would do that. You might even turn around and take a different trail altogether. Paul encourages the Ephesian believers 
as they encountered in life those messages and temptations that would seek to direct them to sinful ways. Just realize what that is. It's just empty. There is nothing there. And isn't that what we find when we fall into sin? It looks so good on the outside. It looks so wonderful. But then when we allow ourselves to enter in, we find exactly what Paul is talking about. We find the emptiness, the hurt, the heartache, and all of those promises that were made on the front end, they vanish into thin air. Paul encourages the Ephesian believers to live on purpose. He writes in other parts of this passage that the Holy Spirit had illuminated their life. They could see the emptiness of those teachings that were running rampant through their city. And so Paul says, don't buy it. Avoid having anything to do with it. And the Bible tells us the same thing. When you see emptiness ahead, don't keep moving closer to the edge of the cliff. Paul gives us at least three uh, biblical truths that that can help us here on on how we do this. How do we live our life in a world gone crazy? Well, there's three things we can glean from this passage. We watch for it, we leave it, and we accept God's forgiveness. Let's look at those three things real quick this morning. First of all, watch for it. The Bible clearly identifies sin. It's right there. God's written it down for us. He's given us the truth. Exactly. We won't have to wonder what, what God thinks about something. He's told us. So dig into the Bible. Ask God's Holy Spirit to guide you, to apply it to those things that you encounter in life. Watch for those warning signs that there's trouble ahead. Pray for God's leadership. Learn to recognize those situations that are offering such great promise, but they're really just empty. Watch for it. And when you see it, leave it. If your child finds a dead possum in your backyard, you immediately know what to do. You know how a dead animal is a magnet to a little kid. (laughs) They want to go over and pick it up, look at it, see what it looks like. So the mom gene comes out. At least it didn't my mom. (laughs) She said, don't you go over there anywhere near that. That's just as dangerous or more dangerous even when it's dead than it was when it's alive. You leave it right there. In fact, don't even go in the backyard. You wait till your dad gets home, cleans that up. Good advice. Good advice for dead animals. It's even better advice for temptation. When you see it, when you recognize it for what you know it is, when, when you compare what the world is offering you to what God's already given you and you realize, hey, this is not where I want to go, Don't mess with it. Don't poke it. Don't think, well, this is making some really good stew. (laughs) Leave it alone. Don't even go in the backyard. Let your father clean it up. Leave it. Finally, accept God's forgiveness. Sometimes, even despite all the warnings, even despite all the things that we know, we still pick up the dead possum. And then we find out why our mom told us to leave it alone. Because it stinks, it's ugly, and it doesn't taste very good in stew. Sometimes we fall into temptation. And one of Satan's greatest tricks is that once we have fallen into sin, he tries to convince us that we can't get out of it. We've already got ourselves all dirty. 
So why don't we just roll around in the mud some more? Don't you believe it? Folks, God changes that. His forgiveness is total and complete. He forgives our sin and He cleanses us from all unrighteousness. When we come to Him confessing our sin, when we bring our sin to Him, God doesn't hold that over us. He doesn't rub it in our face. He, the Bible says, takes it as far as the east is from the west. You can't get farther than that. But sometimes that's really hard to accept. As we were there. We know what we did. We know the pain we caused. We know the hurt that we brought into our own life and to the lives of those that we love. And sometimes it's really hard to accept God's forgiveness. Oh, if you don't hear anything else I say this morning, hear this. If you know Jesus Christ, if you've confessed your sin to Him, He has forgiven you. 100%. Nothing held back. He has cleansed you. 100%. Nothing held back. You need to believe what God already knows. You're a child of the King. Accept the forgiveness that God has lavished on your life. Three principles that can help us. Watch for it. When we see it, leave it. And when unfortunately we fall into it, repent, confess, and accept the forgiveness that our God gives us. Heavenly Father, this is a difficult thing for us to understand because we live in a world that's just like the city of Ephesus. We, we live in a world where there seems like there are no morals anymore, where everybody just makes it up as they go along. So God, thank you that you've given us exactly what we need. You've provided your word so that we can see the lies for what they are, just empty promises. So God, when we see it, help us to to leave it alone. Not to investigate, not to prod and poke, but just to run, to flee temptation as your word tells us to do. God, all of us have stumbled along the way we've all fallen into the lies of this world. So, Heavenly Father, as we repent of that, as we confess it to you, help us to accept the forgiveness that you give, that you have fully cleansed us, that we stand before you in the righteousness of Christ. Help us to accept that, Lord. Even today, we pray that your message of grace and forgiveness would be powerful in this place. For it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.